Okay, you guys, I want to ask you this. Remember before the pandemic when so many of us went to work? And what I mean is we left home and went to an office or wherever, right? Okay, so I remember years ago being at a different network, CNBC, um, when a producer asked management if she could work from home part time and they said no. Now, in the past, to be fair, most CEOs and most companies said no, but I'm going to admit something. Back then, when she asked for that, even I thought, huh, well, she's she's not really committed to her career. Must she be, right? Would she really be focused at home the whole time? If she worked from home, how would that work? I could not envision it. And if you were one of those people who asked for it, and if you did get your request granted, here's the worst part. Management most always silently shunted you to the slow track. Oh, have times changed. So many Silicon Valley companies now saying, you know what? If you want to work from home, go ahead. Here at Fox, we still have producers and staff working from home two years after the lockdown. I was home for close to two years. BNP Paribas, the French bank with operations in the United States, told its workers it actually would prefer they stay home. They have not seen a loss in productivity with workers' home, and they can save money by eliminating the cost of, you know, leasing office space in midtown Manhattan, the most expensive. But that's not the only thing COVID has changed. It's increased the appeal of temporary and part-time jobs. And my guest today has had, when I say front row seat, it's like he's at the stage at Madonna's feet as she's performing. Front row seat when it comes to the changes and challenges the pandemic has caused the job market. And he knows what companies really want today in an employee. So let's welcome Peter Quigley, CEO of Kelly Services, which, if you don't know, is one of the world's largest staffing firms. Peter, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Hi, Liz. Good to be with you. I mean, am I right? You've had your finger on the pulse of the U.S. job market for nearly 20 years. Remember how people looked at employees with sort of the side eye when they asked to work even just part time from home? Well, it's been a it's been a significant sea change in that environment, hasn't it? I mean, you're absolutely right. Companies would um, look askance at anybody that requested it. Kelly was actually a leader five years ago. We started a hybrid work program because, frankly, to recruit people to Michigan, we thought we could do a better job if we let people uh, work remotely uh, on occasion. And it was tremendously successful. Uh, When we hit the pandemic, we just went right into uh, you know, went went from Friday to Monday without a hitch. But I think now the labor market in general has woken up to the fact that we have got to look at treating employees differently if we're going to compete for the best talent. Well, one thing I learned from working from home, it was so much harder. I never stood up. I sat at my desk, except because I was had to do my own hair and makeup because we didn't get to come in here and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I mean, I'm sitting there poking my eye with fake eyelashes. But I was so stressed out every second I was sitting at my desk and studying and researching and, and it was much, much more difficult to work from home. So I think we've all seen that request through a totally different lens. Yeah, the number of hours that people have saved by not having to commute has been replaced by them spending more time on on work. And while certainly there are people that for various reasons take 15 minutes here or half an hour here, the reality is productivity has increased during the pandemic 
for precisely the reasons you're mentioning. And I think when I talk to companies, I tell them that their legacy of COVID is not going to be what happened in the first two years. It's what do they do now? What do they do now to attract the very best talent? How do they open their offices in a way that uh, makes people come back to work as opposed to resigning and going to work somewhere else? So I think this is going to be an exciting two years and really challenge companies to focus on the employee value proposition. I do think it's fair to say, though, we started well before the pandemic. Well, not well, but a couple of years before watching as people who were forced to quit because they were not granted uh, part time work from home decided they wanted to come back to the workplace, couldn't crack back in. So sites like TaskRabbit popped up and Craigslist or even Uber, where you could actually just go B2B, I mean, or C2C, consumer to customer directly. And you could say, look, I provide this service. Tell me if you need it. I'll show up. And I really think people have so many more choices now. It's almost finally the worker's opportunity versus the boss. Yeah, it, the, that equation has been turned on its head during this pandemic and the flexibility, the number of individuals that search uh, job boards and search for jobs to work remote or flexible or hybrid comes up so many more times than it would have been conceivable uh, just a couple of years ago. And some employers, I think probably the better ones are reacting to it. Uh, in, in our light industrial business, for example, uh, we've had customers who never would have considered changing a shift, uh, the time of a shift three years ago, but now they're moving to eight hour shifts or 10 hour shifts or even two hour shifts to allow for individuals to tailor their workday to account for things like when their child is coming home from school or when they have to uh, care for a, a, a parent. Uh, so I think the, the work schedule and the workplace uh, have changed, I think for the better, uh, for the foreseeable future at least. So is it fair to say that the pandemic has been the biggest upheaval in the workplace. I would think since World War II, when women stepped up and began doing jobs in the past that were reserved for men, but they went off to war to fight the war. So women stepped up, made it happen. And when the men came back, they perhaps in some cases saw them in a different light. Oh, she can do that. Well, Liz, it's, it's interesting. That actually is the story of the founding of Kelly Services. Russ Kelly uh, lived in Detroit, and when all of the GIs came back from the World War II, all of those heroic women that manned the, or, or <laughs> supported the war effort. Good term there. No, it's listen, go ahead. We're not so woke here that you can't use terms like that, but I get it. Yeah, supported the war effort. They all of a sudden were out of a job, and many of them... Uh, got used to having a paycheck. Many of them had to work because they lost a spouse or a brother or a father in the war. Mm. And Russ Kelly saw this mismatch uh, of all these displaced women. And Kelly was actually born of a labor market misalignment where in the economic boom following World War II, there were more job openings than there were, were people to fill them. Doesn't that sound familiar? I did not know that about Kelly Services. 
Wow. Uh, that is so pertinent right now. Uh, amazing. And I want to talk about you a little bit because people say, oh, he's the CEO. What does he know from, you know, he's been an executive at this company. He's worked his way up. You actually saw from an early age how difficult it can be to break into a job market when you've been out of it for a really long time. Talk about your mom. Well, my, uh, yeah, thanks. The, you know, what, what drew me to Kelly and the workforce industry was um, the dignity of work, the power of work. And, and I had that connection because of the backstory of my mom, who at the age of 42 uh, found herself literally overnight as a single mother when her husband of 17 years, my father, uh, left. And she was the single mother of four kids, age six, six to 14, mm. um, had to sell our house in a fire sale, rented an older house with one working bathroom, uh, really had no money. Uh, and it was a very um, stressful time financially for all of us. We were scared and um, weren't sure what the future held. And I can remember being the only kid in my class who paid for lunch with a ticket rather than money. Mm. Um, but my mother realized that the way to get us out of the situation was work. She had no formal skill training, um, had never worked outside the house, but she began to find jobs that she could do while being a parent and uh, worked in a uh, grading papers at night, worked it on weekends, being uh, working office clerical jobs, just put together a number of jobs where things finally got a little more stable for us. She ultimately got her real estate license and um, recognizing that uh, commission income may not be the best if you're going to try to put four children or help four children get through college. She went to work for a small marketing firm in New York City, uh, which she commuted to an hour or more on the train every day, likely surrounded by men in the 1970s and 80s, mm. uh, but ended up um, having a very successful career selling, of all things, uh, cross pens that um, <laughs> that she uh, would get monogrammed for, for all of the big uh, Fortune 500 companies. So uh, it was... Uh, something that taught me uh, the importance of work. And she worked into her 80s and uh, all four kids graduated from college. And she ultimately bought that house that we had to rent. And she even bought that little three-person marketing firm before she uh, retired. Oh, God bless her. I, I love your mom. And, and I wish I had met her. I, I mean, you obviously gleaned so much from her strength. You ended uh, college, and then you went to law school. Uh, you began your professional career in private practice. But how did you transition from that to, I think you had to stop at AT&T uh, between, but to Kelly? Well, I, I um, saw a huge opportunity for helping this iconic American company um, grow and to do things differently. And because of my connection to this concept of the dignity at work, it was very attractive to me. And I knew very quickly that I had made the right decision, even though, frankly, from a professional and, and financial standpoint, going from 
uh, what was then a spin out of AT&T, Lucent Technologies to Kelly was at best a step sideways and probably a step back. Uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't make, uh, I, I wouldn't change the decision for anything. Well, one step back, three steps forward, it sounds like happened with you because you worked your way up to uh, the top dog. Kelly's actually been around for, you know, as you said, 75 years post-World War II, navigating all kinds of employment challenges in this country. But did it ever deal with something that we've seen in the past, I'd say, nine to 14 months, and that's the great resignation where people deciding to come back to work said, you know what? I can do better than this. I can do better than this company where I've been for so long, and they are now in the position to pick and choose. Liz, I don't think so. I mean, you might go back to the Great Recession, and but that was a completely different environment because there was plenty of people, just not enough jobs. Now we have uh, plenty of uh, demand, plenty of job openings, but not enough people. And I think the way we framed it may be uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit different, or how we should phrase it. it. It's not that there are not enough people to fill the jobs. It's there's not enough good jobs, and good is now being defined by the worker. What is a worker looking for in the environment, the culture, the wages, the schedule, and companies that. Um, think they can do things the way they used to, I think are going to be in for a rude awakening. And those that are agile and recognize that workers' priorities have changed over the past 18, 24 months, they're going to be the ones in the driver's seat. They're going to be the ones that are going to see the improved results. Because our research demonstrates that companies that do best are the ones that spend as much time on their uh employee satisfaction as they do on their customer satisfaction. Oh, absolutely. We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think that it's so important for managers to say, we want you happy and then the customer happy. You know, it used to be the customer's always right. No. Now, if you make your employee happy and engender loyalty, I what I find fascinating, for example, is is the upheaval in, as you say, the the worker who's now in in sort of the driver's seat. We had Caterpillar see a strike and Caterpillar came through with a contract that they had moved up on every metric to match the demand, to meet the demands. They didn't quite match them. And Caterpillar said, you know what? No, we're not signing it. 
and management had to come back with an even better term. You didn't used to see that in manufacturing. And I think that whether it's Amazon or Walmart, all these companies that are now saying proactively, we're going to raise our wages, that's significant. But it's more than wages, isn't it, Peter? Isn't it benefits, health care, and as you said, flex scheduling? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, wages are table stakes, and it's pretty obvious there's no more there's no such thing as a minimum wage anymore. Uh, the market is, uh, and the supply and demand uh, equation has taken care of that with the significant increases you see in entry-level positions. But you're absolutely right, Liz. It's not just about wages and benefits. It's about, you know, do employees feel welcome? Do they feel that it's an inclusive environment? Uh, are they treated with respect? Do they enjoy the the workplace and the work style that they're being asked to um, uh, work in you know today's employees they don't want to have to fit work into their lives i mean they they want to fit work into their lives rather than have to build their life around work sure. which is what i grew up doing and so i think you know this concept of a work-life design is here and employees have gotten a taste of it. And I don't think they're going back. But I do want to ask, in a way, though, if you really want to make it to the top, all the way to the top, don't you still have to be how you were and how I was, where I took every uh, fill-in opportunity, even canceling things that mattered to me when they said, hey, so-and-so got sick. Can you step up and fill in on the weekend anchor set at 11 p.m. on a Saturday night? I was like, yes, that's me. That's me. And I left people who are, I often say, better reporters and anchors behind in the markets I used to work in, Columbus, Cleveland, Boston. They were better than me, but I felt like I was more ambitious and said yes more. Has that changed as well, too? Because we've got people listening now who do have a desire to make it all the way to the top, but at what cost? In this, I'm going to give you two answers. I'm going to give you the one I wish was true, and then I'm going to tell you what I think is still the case. Please. I wish it were the case that we have reset uh, where the priorities are for people moving up. And I'm doing everything I can at Kelly to ensure that uh, people who have different styles of work um, are given the same shot that somebody who comes into the office is. But the reality is there are still uh, biases, proximity biases to overcome. If you're, you know, you see somebody every day, you have lunch with that person three times a month, an opportunity comes up and there just happened to be there. Like your example of uh, taking the 1130 shift on a Saturday night mm -hmm. it sounds miserable, by the way, but um, <laughs> that's that's why you are where you are, Liz. Um, I, I do think, you know, companies are going to have to work really hard to try to account for that um, connection that happens naturally in a work environment in which uh, people are together. Well, it isn't just a hard 45 degree pivot or 180. It's it's incremental. But I think that the lockdown so dramatically changed how bosses view workers who want a flexible schedule. What do employers really want 
considering all that we've just discussed from an employee, somebody that they look at and say, that one's going to the top? Well, I think the potential biggest outcome from this pandemic is that employers may pay more attention to outcomes than location. Now, it's going to take some time, but as we just discussed, but I do think in particular positions, uh, employers will look to the work product of the individual and in a lot of cases judge that um, as the indicator of, of future performance. What we're going to have to do is figure out how to recreate some environments where uh, people can get together to create those social relationships and the collaboration that is still very difficult in a virtual environment. Um, but the recognition that we can work in a remote environment and still be productive or even more productive, as you said, mm -hmm. I think is the start of a different conversation that hopefully will overcome some of those biases that I mentioned earlier. What advice do you have Peter, for people entering the workforce once again after the lockdowns? Well, I think the, you know, my advice would, wouldn't probably change, Liz, from what I would offer advice for people. And I don't mean this from a health perspective, but I would advise people if they are comfortable in their uh, position or they're comfortable in their next job is to get uncomfortable, to take on something that puts you out of your comfort zone, that feels like you're pushing yourself, you're learning new things, um, because I think that's actually how you develop a model of lifelong learning in the workplace that creates the competencies and breadth of capability that a senior executive requires. I go back to when I was interviewing for my first on-air job, which is always the hardest to get. It's not the big network job in New York City. It's the first chance to go on television. That's the hardest. And I was meeting with the news director of a station in Columbus, and I was so focused. I had, you know, proverbial blood dripping from my jaws. And I said, I will come in early. I will stay late. I will be the one at 2 a.m. on a sub-zero February night in the center of Ohio waiting outside the crack house for the suspect to come out. And I'll have my camera and my microphone there. I'm that one. And he hired me. So I think that, you know, depending on the position, if you say, trust me, you will never regret hiring me. I will be there for you, whether my location is somewhere miles away, but I'll be right there. There is almost a hybrid offering from the worker as well. Yeah, I think that level of uh, flexibility and that uh, expression of willingness to go the extra mile is that's motivation. And uh, that's really difficult to, um, you know, find if it's not in somebody. And so if you're able to articulate it and demonstrate that, that's that's going to go a long way to helping open that first door or the second door. And those opportunities don't always come up where you expect them to. So uh, even just being in the um, positioning yourself to be as part of the conversation mm. is uh, critical to future opportunity. 
Such valuable advice. Peter, thank you so much for giving us the time here on Everyone Talks to Liz. Thank you, Liz. Peter Quigley of Kelly Services. You guys, once you start working again, you make a little money. You got to invest it, right? That's where I come in at 3 p.m. Eastern every day on the Fox Business Network. Claim and countdown. I'll see you then. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I ran into a bunch of people in Arizona who came up and said, oh, we listened to your podcast. It meant so much to me. And I cannot thank you enough, but I feel like it's a two-way street because you get to hear incredibly inspirational stories that we bring you every single time. My thanks to my podcast producer, Grace Cannon, as always. And listen, we'll see you next time. Hang in there.